Scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm 107, verses 21 and 22. Psalm 107, verses 21 and 22. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Turn back a few pages in your Bibles to Psalm 95. Psalm 95 and read with me. We were just there in Psalm 122. Let's go back a few pages to Psalm 95 and let's read together. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It's no secret that our circumstances... The circumstances surrounding things like COVID-19 have had an effect on our assemblies. Certainly it's had an effect on our assembly in the sense that it's had an effect on our times at which time we, we arrive and, and come and go and, and at which times we come with various people depending on the part of the alphabet. And we, we've only live streamed sometimes and we've come partially, you know, depending on the alphabet part of the time. And then uh, for a couple weeks there we were all together and, and, and certainly COVID-19 has had an effect on our worship in that way. But if we're not careful, because of the things that we've been enduring, we might just allow the circumstances to affect the fervor and emotion and zeal with which we worship our God. I'm not saying that it's wrong to sometimes come to worship with a heavy heart or a saddened spirit because of the things that we are dealing with. We see in a number of places through the Psalms what are sometimes known as Psalms of Lament, in which the psalmist comes before God enduring various heartaches and difficulties and and they're bowing prostrate before him, asking him for various things and to help through the difficult times that they're enduring. And so it's not wrong for us to come to worship sometimes with heavy hearts and difficulties and sad spirits. But if we're not careful, if we continue in this state of mind for too long, we may begin to offer some sort of strange fire before our God. Thinking about the strange fire that was offered in Leviticus chapter number 10 by Nadab and Abihu. As we think about this, some people in the world may look at our worship assemblies and they might say, why are they still even doing that? Why don't they just stay home? Why do they want to come together even though there's fewer people in the auditorium and it seems maybe like the, the, the breath has been sucked out of, out of it maybe because we have to keep our distance from one another and we, we can't hear one another talking as well as we're wearing the mask. Why, why do they continue to do that? Why don't they, maybe they just stay home or why do they even want to be involved in those things 
Because to the world, it may seem like worship is all about what I get out of it. And so as you see in the title there, when worship sometimes becomes about the great I instead of the great I am. And it's not any wonder that sometimes the world may think that that's what we're all about because there are even some in the religious world that say things like this. A, a religious leader in this particular area said this recently, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it, this individual said, but we're doing it for our, yourself because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning. Just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. And when you come to church, this person said, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. It's a gross misunderstanding of what worship truly is. And so this morning, I want us to consider what worship is, and I want us to remind ourselves of these things, because as we come together to worship on various, on various occasions, I want us to remember why we're here, what we're doing, what is the purpose. And I know that we know these things in the back of our mind, but sometimes we need to remind ourselves and, and build ourselves back up and, and be like the psalmist in Psalm 95 that said, Oh, come, let us sing joy to the Lord. Shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Worship is about showing reverence and adoration for God, to give him honor. The original word meant to, to kiss the hand like a, a dog licking his master's hand. And so, two parts to our lesson this morning. First part, what worship should not be. What worship should not be. First, consider that worship should not be self-centered. It should not be self-centered. That is, when worship only becomes about what I want. Don't misunderstand. We should want to be at worship. Psalm 122, verse 1, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of our Lord. No doubt we should have the attitude of David, but the, quote, I don't want to be there attitude isn't what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the attitude that says, I'm going to worship God how I want, when I want, where I want, and God's just going to accept it no matter what it is. Instead, worship that is about what I want is worship that is like the Pharisees that Jesus spoke of in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 7, in which he said, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Aaron and I, over the last few years, have fallen in love with our national parks, and we like to go and see the beautiful, wonderful creation that God has created and, and that we get to enjoy. A few years ago, we went to visit Yosemite in California. It was at this park in Yosemite that John Muir, the, the renowned naturalist, wrote these words of when he first visited Yosemite. He said this, This, I may say, is the very first time that I have been at church in California. Led here at last, every door graciously opened for the poor, lonely worshiper, and lo, here at last, in front of the cathedral, the cathedral he's talking about are the stone walls in Yosemite that have three kind of uh, points to them. It looked kind of like a, a cathedral. He says, at last, here in front of the cathedral is blessed Cassiope, flower, a flowering plant, ringing her thousands of sweet-toned bells, the sweetest church music I ever enjoyed. I appreciate the, the beauty of grandeur of God's creation as, as John Muir did and, and, and love the beauty of it. But our worship experience cannot be taken to great lengths to just fit them into whatever way that we want to fit them, whatever's most appealing to us about what I want. 
In a much less poetic way, I've heard deer hunters say, with my own ears, this isn't just hearsay in the sense that, you know, maybe somebody might say, I've heard deer hunters say this. I just feel closer to God when I'm in a deer blind, listening to the birds singing, watching the deer, feeling the breeze, than I do when I'm assembled to worship with other people. If we're not careful, when this pandemic is over, we may be tempted to continue in the convenience of live stream. Don't misunderstand. I understand this, the current circumstances and situations are, are unprecedented, but when this pandemic is over, we may be tempted to convenu- continue in the convenience of, of live stream in the sense that maybe we continue in the convenience of live stream in our deer stand or from the fishing boat or from the couch between video games or from the bed because we didn't feel like getting up in the morning and getting dressed and going to the assembly. If we're not careful, worship can become about what I want, what, what I prefer, and what I would rather do. Some worship God just doesn't accept. We see that throughout the Old Testament in a number of places. In Genesis chapter number four, verses three through five, we see the account of Cain's worship that wasn't accepted. We mentioned earlier Leviticus chapter number 10 with Nadab and Abihu, and also think about 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 16, which Isaiah, King Isaiah, entered into the temple and burned incense, which was a priestly duty. It led God to smite Isaiah with leprosy for the rest of his life. Some might look, I thought, wasn't he just worshiping how, how he thought maybe would, would be best? Worship is not about only what I want. It's about what God wants. There are plenty of ways today in which people are worshiping the way that they want. When we worship without the authority of God's word, we are worshiping in the way that we want. We don't have to look very far down the street to see various individuals worshiping without authority the way that they want, with instruments, with rituals, with ungodly and improper leadership. But shame on us if we overlook our own self-centered worship because we want to look down the street at other self-centered worship. And so our worship should not be self-centered and only about what I want, nor should it be, secondly, self-concerned. When worship becomes only about what I personally need, I absolutely understand we, we need worship. It benefits us, it encourages us, it lifts us up. It's a beautiful byproduct of worship and praise to God when we Think about Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, in which we are to consider one another, to provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. It's a benefit of our worship is coming together and exhorting one another and building one another up. There's byproducts of worship, and we get, you and I get things out of worship, absolutely. But worship shouldn't only be about what I need. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 25, Jesus, in instituting the Lord's Supper, said, take, eat, this is my body, and then this is my blood. He said, do this do in remembrance of me. Worship helps us to remember and to call to remembrance what Jesus has done for us. However, Even though we need worship as Christians, the primary focus of worship is not ourselves, but it is on our God. Rather, the primary goal of our worship is to attempt to ascribe worth and honor and glory to Him, to His name. 
Even in the act of remembrance through the Lord's Supper in which you and I are taking that emblem to remember God, Paul says also in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 that for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. When we partake, we're not just remembering, but we are proclaiming, we're worshiping. The problem arises when we act as though the one standing up here, whether that's the preacher or the song leader or the one leading the prayers, or one reading the Scripture, the, as the one standing up here is the participant, and those of us that sit out there are the watchers or the audience. We judge the performance of those that are up here, and we expect to get something out of the worship based upon perhaps how the one standing up here does in his efforts. Kind of like going to a movie. Is it entertaining enough? At some point, you've probably heard someone say, I came to worship today, but I just didn't get anything out of it this morning. Or worship just didn't do anything for me like sometimes it does. I would dare say that many of us, myself included, have been guilty of this, of this attitude at some point in our lives. And to be fair, some worship services may be less riveting, less engaging than others. However, if at the very least, after having partaken of the emblems which represent Christ's body and His blood, and the sacrifice that he offered, if we still feel as though a worship service was lacking in providing something for me, I dare say that maybe our worship has become self-concerned when it only becomes about what I need. If we're not careful, we may end up having this attitude about worship right now because of the smaller assemblies. You know, I came today and the singing just wasn't as good as it used to be, and man, it's just not, it's not lifting me up as much as, as I would prefer Certainly, again, singing is about building and teaching one another and, and building each other up, and that's, that's a part of it, absolutely. But think about the primary focus. We get to worship and praise our God and sing to Him for all the marvelous things that He's done. If after I've stopped and truly considered the magnitude of the gravity of, of Christ's sacrifice, if after I've stopped and truly considered the love that was demonstrated toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If after I've stopped and considered that Jesus was whipped and beaten and spat upon and mocked and crowned with thorns and pierced and, and hung, if after I've stopped and considered that Christ did this for me because he loved me, if I'm still feeling as though I didn't get anything out of worship, I may be a self-concerned worshiper. Worship should also not be not only self-centered or self-concerned, but self-consumed. When worship becomes about how great I think I am. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18, Jesus tells a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Read with me verses 9 through 12 of Luke chapter 18. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. They were self-consumed, that they were righteous and despised others. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Surely none of us would ever pray anything so repugnant, would we? So haughty and high-minded. Surely we wouldn't pray those words, but but have we ever thought that? Do we ever look around and compare the state of other worshipers with our own state? 
Do we contrast our situation with their situation? Do we balance our fewer faults to their larger faults? If we're not careful, instead of practicing what John preached last week from Romans 14, we might look around and think, I can't believe that so-and-so isn't here. Can't believe that they didn't come to assemble. I would never not come to assemble if I had the choice. We need to be careful that we don't begin to worship in a way that is self-consumed that says, look how great I am. Consider some other ways we might worship in an arrogant fashion. Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount reminds us that if we have, we're at odds with our brother, that we are to make those things right before we bring in a sacrifice and offering to God. When we assemble to worship with sin held to our account, without making effort to make it right, we arrogantly assume that I am different from others, that my worship is still acceptable even though I have sin on my account, even though I'm still at odds with my brother. When we wrongfully assume that our more beautiful voice, aesthetically, is more pleasing to God than the off-key, off-beat singer in the row over, we might be worshiping in an arrogant fashion. When we wrongfully assume that our verbose and detailed vocabulary-laden prayers are, are more acceptable to God than the prayer of a new Christian, or of a younger person, we might be worshiping in an arrogant fashion. And then hear me out on this one. When we wrongfully think that our worship is what saves us, we are worshiping in an arrogant fashion. When we are coming to worship just for the sake of being obedient, and we go through the check boxes of all the lists of things that we, we found in Scripture to be worship that is acceptable to God and that has scriptural authority, and we do those things just so that we can be saved and not be in a wrong relationship with God, we might be worshiping in an arrogant fashion. It's at this point that we have a gross misunderstanding about what worship is. It's not about bragging about how obedient we are or to check a box. Worship is about coming before the throne of God, praising Him for who He is and what He has done for us that we already have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. Yes, our worship and the way that we worship does matter. It does. We, we already mentioned that earlier. But when we worship simply so that we would be acceptable to God so that we aren't punished in eternal hell, we have begun to worship in an arrogant fashion. Look at the end of Luke chapter 18 in the parable here. How are we to worship instead as we transition to our second part? How are we to worship? Continue in verse 13 of Luke 18. And the tax collector, the one that the Pharisee looked at as though he was lesser and low, lower status, that he didn't worship God as he should, the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what should worship be? Worship should be God-centered. should be God-centered. Worship that the way God wants. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the Hebrews writer says that we are to continually offer a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips. God wants our lips. God wants our 
the fruit of our lips to come before him, the things that we say and the things that we want to communicate. God wants those things, but he also wants not only to us to honor with our lips, but also with our hearts. In Mark chapter 7, we mentioned verse 6 and 7 earlier. Jesus says that they, in vain do they worship me, speaking of the Pharisees, for they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God wants our lips and he wants our hearts. God also wants our minds. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus again instituting the Lord's Supper said, this do in remembrance of me. He wants us to engage the faculties of our mind and remember him and think about him. Not only our hearts and the things that, that we say and feel, but also the way that we think. God wants that and our worship should be centered around what God wants. Should also be centered around God and it should be God concerned that is worship the way that God deserves Worship the way that God deserves. Go back in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 95. We were just there. Now look at Psalm 96 and listen to what the psalmist says in this great psalm. Not only should we have an attitude that is God-centered that says no matter what, I'm going to offer God what he wants, but I'm going to offer God what he deserves. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord. O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The psalmist offered praise to God. It was God concerned. It was about what God deserved. Perhaps we will never echo exactly the words of the psalmist, but it should be our prayer that we try to offer God nothing less. We should demand that no less than our all, than our total outpouring of gratitude, because God deserves it, because he's worthy of it. The attitude that says, no matter what, I'm going to offer God what he wants, and no matter what, I'm going to offer God what he deserves. And finally, as we think about what worship should be, should be God-consumed, that's worship that leaves me thinking, wow, what a great God. Yes, we may be coming here with fewer people in our assemblies, and we may be sitting at home by ourselves, and we may be distracted by all the different things that are going on in the world today. But when we sit down to worship our God, and when we sing praises to Him, when we partake of the emblems, when we hear His Word proclaimed, and we read Scriptures together, and when we pray before Him, we ought to be thinking, what a great God. What a great God we serve. I have the opportunity to sing choruses to my God. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great 
thou art. How great thou art. I have the opportunity to commune with God in remembrance of Christ's death. I have the opportunity to contribute to the work of the Lord, to communicate with the God in prayer. The opportunity to convey to God and to others my love for him and my participation of the preaching and the reading of his word. My attitude in worship should be, no matter what, I'm going to offer him what he wants, what he deserves, and no matter what, I'm going to come away thinking, wow, what a great God. As we close, our lives, even our demeanors, have certainly been affected by all the recent struggles. But does that mean that God deserves any less God-centered, God-concerned, God-consumed worship? Perhaps you've been struggling with that lately. I know I have. I'd encourage you to examine your heart, your mind, to see whether or not the worship that you've been offering to God is the very best that you can bring. One week, it may not be quite as, as much uh, of your best because of the things that are weighing upon your heavy heart. But every week, we ought to be bringing the very best to God that we can bring. If you're not a Christian, we'd encourage you to become one today, to put your Lord on in baptism, having your sins washed away. I can promise that your worship will never be the same after Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior. If there's anything that we can do for you, we ask that you come together as we stand and as we sing.